836. Jeff Wacker, glad to have you with us. All right, I'm taking a couple days off at the end of the week, so that means we have a lot of stuff to get through. We're going to be moving through topics very quickly today. Um, in addition, there is a statewide election on the ballot one week from today. Um, there's actually, I guess there's two, but one is uh, the candidate is running unopposed. And that Ziegler, who is a sitting judge on the justice on the state Supreme Court, she is running unopposed for a 10-year term. Matter of fact, uh, Justice Ziegler is going to be one of our guests at Insight 2017, Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, tickets are on sale now, so check it out. You can go to WTMJ.com, purchase the tickets. It's going to be a wonderful evening, headlined by Governor Scott Walker. We've got Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. Justices from the state Supreme Court will be announcing some of the other guests in the relatively near future. But in addition to the unopposed race with Justice Ziegler, um, there is a contested race, and that is for the state superintendent of schools. The very liberal current incumbent state superintendent, Tony Evers, who is running for what would be, I guess, his third term. He is supported by a lot of the the liberal action groups across the state. He is running, and his challenger is Lowell Holtz. We will be joined by Mr. Holtz at, uh, what, 10.05 this morning to talk about that race. Like I say, it's the one It is the one contested statewide race that will be on the ballot so that everybody gets a chance to vote for it. So that's coming up at 10.05, our interview with Lowell Holtz. All right, we start off this show like we start off every show, three big things, things I think you need to know as you move through your day. Number one, the aftermath from the senseless killings in Milwaukee. Uh, just, it's been a very, very bad few days. You know, we've talked about this horrible story where you had the city of Milwaukee building inspector who was murdered, killed, killed by a shotgun. As last Wednesday, broad daylight, he is sitting outside a, a building that he was either getting ready to do an inspection on or had just completed an inspection on, but he's just sitting in his car. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you have a roving gang of thugs, the youngest of whom is 16, the oldest of whom is is 21, all of whom have criminal records, some criminal records as long as your arm. Some are out on signature bonds after you know, carjacking or stealing cars or whatever, they're all out on the street. And I think you can make a strong argument that at least three of the five should have been behind bars if Milwaukee County judges would have done what they were supposed to do. Regardless, the guy is sitting there. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They'd been involved in earlier carjackings, and the 17-year-old at least allegedly shoots the man with a shotgun. I mean, just... In broad daylight, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it is a credit to the police that the police went out and, I mean, made a quick apprehension, and that's that's a credit. But you still have this this happening. Um, yesterday afternoon, near 4th and Keefe, um, you had a story just before 4 o'clock. 21-year-old woman, 29-year-old man, and 34-year-old man all suffered serious injuries in a shooting The 21-year-old woman was found on the scene and taken to the hospital. Two other victims were later located at hospitals. MPD is investigating the circumstances that led to that shooting. All right. And, again, I've always argued that homicide rates 
you, you look at homicide rates, but that's not the real whole story because any time there's a shooting, it could be a homicide. And a lot of times the fact that somebody doesn't die from a gunshot after being hit is just a matter of, of luck or a tribute to emergency medicine or, or whatever. So the mean streets of Milwaukee, as the weather gets nicer, continue to be just as, as mean. Now, I understand that this murder of the city building inspector has haunted a lot of people. And there's all sorts of aspects of the story to discuss. Uh, most notably, why were these young gangsters, these thugs, back out on the street? You know, where has the court system gone wrong? And, and we know that you just have judges or court commissioners that set ridiculously low bails or give people chance after chance after chance, turning people loose on the street for them to commit crimes. There is, however, a larger issue. When we were talking about this yesterday, received a phone call from a woman in Brookfield. And in all honesty, I have been thinking about that phone call since it occurred. And I'm thinking that I might have mishandled the call in a way because the, the point she was making, she said she lives in Brookfield and she had to come to come to Shorewood to, to do some business yesterday. And her normal route would be driving down Capitol Drive from Brookfield to, to Shorewood. And she was worried. You know, she was afraid of doing that. And, and we discussed it a little bit, but I, I didn't I didn't really go into that that fear. And I and I I don't want to say I blew the call off because I, I didn't because I, I understand that. But it was kind of like, well, OK, it's daylight. You probably don't have anything to worry about. But but the truth is, this woman was worried. She was worried about traveling down Capitol Drive, which used to be one of the major east-west thoroughfares, if you wanted to avoid the freeway that you would end up taking. And, you know, I, I find myself thinking about that as well, because the truth is, when I have to go out to the west side from the north shore, um, I don't take Capitol Drive anymore. I, I just I just don't. I used to take Hampton. Now, a lot of times, I don't take Hampton. I go up to Silver Spring or I go up to Good Hope and then figure out a way to, to come on down. I want to open up the phone lines. Big thing number one, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In light of the severity of crime and the, the randomness of the crime and the apparent number of repeat violators and how brazen they've gotten. I mean, my God, this man was shot at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in broad daylight. Are you worried to travel through the city of Milwaukee? Um, and, I, again, when I got this call yesterday, I, I, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I understand exactly what this lady I- is saying. And particularly, well, I think that there's lots of areas of the city that are completely and totally safe, particularly lots of areas of downtown Milwaukee. The truth is, again... You know, you wonder, you pull up uh, at an intersection on 92nd and, and whatever, and are you worried about being the victim of a carjacking? Are you worried about some of this randomness? How is the criminal activity in Milwaukee, whether it is the reality or it's the perception, how is that affecting your decisions? And are you reluctant to travel to certain areas or through certain areas of the city? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eight forty three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. 
It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on our text line. I, I mean, I, get, I got this call yesterday morning from this woman. We were talking about the criminal activity in Milwaukee. And she said, you know, I, I got to drive from Brookfield over to Shorewood. I typically go down Capitol Drive, and I'm, I'm worried. I hear about this random crime. And you know what? I, I think. I think she has a point. Um, Here we have from Willie on the south side. People can't help but be afraid from all the stuff they see and hear on TV. So why not be safe and just avoid it altogether? It's really too bad. Yeah. Dan sends us a text. He writes, I used to routinely take Capital, Hampton, or Silver Spring. Now I typically will take Good Hope and have my head on a swivel. I'm not as concerned about carjacking, although I do leave space at red lights and lock my doors. I'm concerned about people blowing through red lights at 70 miles an hour. Let's talk to Terry in New Berlin. Terry, good morning. Yes, good morning. I certainly agree with her, and as far as any time during the night, I wouldn't travel through the inner part of the uh, the city. You know, um, if it would be necessary, uh, I would certainly during the daylight hours uh, work at, or go around through the perimeters. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other question I had, uh, Jeff, and I was thinking about this. You know, with our system that uh, we currently have with our judges, is there a possibility that the family or the uh, the folks of the uh, the city inspector is it possible for them to sue the judicial system for not completely doing their job? Uh, the the answer is uh, no. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Terry. I mean, the the answer is no because these are these are discretionary calls that the judges the judges make. And sometimes they, they get it wrong, and so the, the the recourse is for the public to throw people out. But to you know, but of course, nobody runs against judges anyhow. There's very very few contested races, and if you are a sitting judge, you almost never get a challenger. So I mean, the the answer is no. There, there's nothing there's nothing that you can do because I mean, a judge makes an assessment and decides, hey, I'm going to let this this car thief out on a $500 signature bond, which doesn't means they don't even have to put up any money. They just have to sign a, a note promising that they're going to show up and not commit crimes while they're out on the signature bond. And, of course, that's not worth the paper it, it's printed on. So now, in this case, for example, you have one of the 17-year-olds who's charged, um, who's I believe was out on that $500 signature bond, who was either the, the one who allegedly pulled the trigger or was a party to crime to this. So now you can charge them with bail jumping and you can try to collect $500 for them. Um, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're joined by Shanaz from Brookfield, who we spoke to yesterday morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well. Did you end up taking Capital Drive from Brookfield to Shorewood? No, 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 no. I did not. I was so worried. So I took 94 all the way down to 43 North Green Bay. Uh There was an accident in the 43 North, so that ramp was closed, and I have to turn around. But anyway, I took 94 East all the way down, and the world is totally different over there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So you just avoided the whole – you stayed on the freeway and just avoided – all the concerns, yeah. That's definitely. definitely that's that's really. Yeah. It's sad that you had to do that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was very sad, and I met the lady, and she lives in Pivaki, but she said I take Capital Drive, but I do carry, you know. And I'm like, oh. I don't carry nothing. You know? <laughs> By carry, you mean she's got her gun? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, so I. I, I yeah, I well, I got to tell you, I'm very. I'm thanks for the call. I, I'm very glad. I'm very glad you made it safely. And I, I guess I sort of apologize because I, 
I sort of gave your concern a little bit of short shrift, and it's been bothering me for 24 hours about the, the whole thing. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, because I think this is realistic. And the truth is, I have changed my behavior a- as well. Um, it just, and you're adjusting it. And it's, it's the randomness, and it is the severity of the crime. I mean, here you have this guy, he's parked, he's parked in front, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's essentially executed by a bunch of gangster wannabe thugs who apparently want want the car and have been off on this carjacking spree. Um, MP, I mean, you got 16 and 17 year olds who are supposed to be in school. Well, forget about that. Um, if they're not in school, they should have probably many of them been in jail, but they're not in jail. And and this is and I don't know what Barrett does about it. I'm, I'm not blaming the mayor for this. I'm certainly not blaming the police department. Um, I, I am to an extent blaming the judicial system, which doesn't lock people up. But here's the reality. It is this kind of randomness. And again, you, you talk about some of these east-west thoroughfares. You know, what's been happening now is the carjackers have gotten so brazen, they will come up to you, they'll bang into your car, um, you're parked at a red light, they'll bump into your car, you get out to inspect the damage, and then somebody pulls a gun and steals your car. I mean, that's the type of stuff that is going on, and I think it's it's a huge concern. Beth in Wausau. Beth, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we drive to uh, Milwaukee about once a month. Both our adult children live down in the Fox Point area. So we come down uh, Highway 10, and then we turn on, you know, we come in on Highway 100, go through Brown Deer. And uh, we don't do it at night. We always do it during the day, but we are also concerned about our safety when we come through those areas. Uh, traveling downtown, um, you know, going to Bucks games, Brewer games, uh, we're, we're always concerned. But right. more than that, I'm concerned for my children that live down there every day, my daughter, single person, working downtown, you know, going in and out of her car, shopping areas. You know, it is it is a concern, and um, I don't know the answer. I wish I did. But. No, I, I, it, but, I mean, it, it's on the back of people's minds, and I think a lot of people are just – they're kind of making the decision that, that we don't want to deal with this, so we're going to avoid it. And look, and I don't want to paint the whole city as being that this vibe. I mean, downtown, I think, is very, very vibrant, particularly east of the river. I, I think it's thriving. I think the new arena is going to help a lot. But there's a lot of areas of the city of Milwaukee, including areas that when I was growing up, you thought of as being safe that aren't necessarily safe now. And that is just extremely unfortunate. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to continue the conversation, just being swamped with um, on our text line and with phone calls. Chris writes, uh, Jeff, I'm a home care nurse, and I work in much of the area between Silver Spring and downtown from the river to 60th Street. In the last three weeks, I have been within a block and a couple of minutes of two shootings, several uh, people going through red lights at fast speeds, beginning to feel like it's time for a career change. Yeah. 8.54, we continue the conversation next. It's Jeff Wagner, another text that we have. As a local real estate agent, I have to travel all over the metro area. After a few incidents of carjacking and even murders uh, in the city of Milwaukee, at city of Milwaukee gas stations over the past two years, I've changed how I get across the metro area and no longer will travel through certain, certain parts of the city. I lived in the city for many decades. I'm not a paranoid suburbanite. I was smart where and when I would go to certain locations. But after these events, and especially with the latest one with the innocent city inspector, I will avoid the city from Mill Road South from now on. I will go out of my way to avoid certain areas, and I definitely will never buy gas anymore in the city. It's just too dangerous, as I'm typically traveling alone. Eric and Aaron. Eric, good morning. Good morning. Um, Jeff, I, I have a you know a business. I've been in a, in a, a 
fencing industry for 30 years, and, and I, I used to get a lot of work in the city of Milwaukee. Um, and there's still a lot of work there, you know, a lot of hardworking people that want to protect their things um, by putting up a fence for some extra privacy. But it's become harder and harder to take work and, and justify sending a truck down there. The guys don't want to go down there because mm-hmm. they're out in, the, you know, basically the elements all day. You have to have an extra guy along to to watch your watch, stuff, watch, watch everybody, watch your truck. stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and there's just so many variables. You know, when I started doing it, it never bothered me. I don't know if it's getting older, but, you know, I, I look at them and they're like, oh, gosh, we have to go down there. And, and, and I don't blame them, to be honest with you. And, and it's, yeah. it's hard as a business owner to say, gosh, I can't go to those areas or whatever. And unfortunately, it's starting to become the reality of what it is it's it's risk versus reward versus you know putting putting your guys lives out there essentially well right and, and your property no th- thanks for, and this is look i grew up around here i i love this area i live here by choice i could live anywhere i wanted to live i, I live here by choice it breaks my heart what is going on but this is now the reality and again i, I start with the the lady who called yesterday and called back again today it's i I think for a lot of us who have these choices, it is changing how we travel. It's changing how we drive. I mean, now you got a guy that's killed at 2 o'clock in the afternoon sitting there. I mean, it's not like you're in a bad neighborhood at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I think this is affecting a lot of us as we decide, okay, how are we going to get from our homes out to the west side? You know, do you have to take the freeway, you know, stop at a red light? Do you have to worry that you're going to be a victim of some carjacking and a murder? And I have to tell you, this is something that the people in the city, whether it's the aldermen or the judges or the the prosecutors or the mayor, they need to get a handle on because this will kill a lot of the city. It's nine if it's not stopped. It's nine o'clock. It's nine oh nine. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Our, our text line is just exploding with people commenting on living in the city of Milwaukee nowadays. Hi, Jeff. I live in the city, and not only do you have to worry about carjackings, but also that your home is going to be broken into while you're away, especially during the day. It's sad because I live in a wonderful neighborhood that is being ruined by all that crime. And that's that, that's the other, that's one of the big stories. The northwest side used to be one of the areas where the city employees lived. It used to be viewed as one of these like safe areas. Now what's happening is is even even the northwest side, what they're finding is uh, some of these neighborhoods, you, you, you can't go away for vacation. You try to go away from vaca- for vacation, and you're going to come in, your home's going to be busted into. And in many cases, it's like during the day. The, the thieves, the burglars, the robbers, the bad guys are just so brazen that, that they're going to, you know, go in there. Um, I'm getting a lot of emails. Okay, Jeff, we live in Sheboygan. This is from Greg. We live in Sheboygan County. We're an hour away from Milwaukee, Green Bay, and Appleton. Milwaukee would be our last choice for shopping, etc. The only reason we go to Milwaukee is for Brewers games. Yeah, it's it's all these, all these different things that are going on. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I do know what we're doing now isn't working. And I guess I come back to I'm not smart enough to know all the the social causes and the root causes type of stuff. But I do know that when you're 16 years old and you're 17 years old and you've been through the criminal justice system on multiple occasions and you're stealing cars and you're robbing people at gunpoint, at some point in time, we need some judges with some spines to say, we're not just going to turn the person back loose out on the street on a $500 signature bond or on double secret probation or whatever, because we know that that is not working. 
and people are dying and people are having their cars stolen and people are being are scared to live in commute parts of what is an otherwise wonderful community and i think i understand that the mayor is frustrated with this as well and i understand that the mayor wants madison to come out and you know pass more laws on with regards to guns and stuff but okay we've got a ton of laws maybe Maybe if the mayor would get and the police chief would get on board with singling out judges and court commissioners who make ridiculous bail decisions as well, that would put some pressure on the court system to at least, once the cops catch the people the first time, not to turn them loose. Just saying. Okay, big thing number two. On Friday afternoon, the big story was the failure of the Republicans in the House to get enough votes to repeal and replace Obamacare. We talked about this extensively yesterday. Some of the long knives are out blaming Paul Ryan. I don't see this as Paul Ryan's fault at all. Um, I think if you want to look at blame for this, you lay it on the 25 to 30 members of the so-called House Freedom Caucus, the conservative ideologues who have voted to repeal Obamacare like 15 times in the last several years. But once they finally had something to vote for, you know, an alternative plan decided, well, this does not go far enough, so we're going to take our ball and we're going to go home. The result is Ryan didn't have enough votes to pass it. And so um, now you, you can say no, and you can say no, and you can say no. But at some point in time, if you're going to govern, you have to recognize that politics is, as I say, the art of the possible. And... This Freedom Caucus, these 25 or 30 votes, you had these conservative Republicans who kept moving the bar. Here, okay, you know, we want this, we want that. All right, we'll give you this. Now we want this next thing. And as a result, you, you have the effort to repeal and replace Obamacare ha- has cratered. Well, here is the reality. And here's the question that is facing Paul Ryan, that's facing other Republicans in the House, and is facing the White House. What do you do now? Now, I believe, in my heart of hearts, that Obamacare, and I understand there's some people in the print media who don't like the phrase death spiral. I believe Obamacare is unsustainable. What is happening is insurers in the private market are pulling out of these exchanges right and left because they are losing money hand over fist. There's not enough healthy people that are paying money into the system to make up for the sick people who are in who are drawing money out of the system. It doesn't make economic sense. And now you're at a point where um, what I think, like I say, in one out of every three counties, there's only one one exchange that's there. This if you make little enough money to qualify for some of the subsidy, the taxpayer paid subsidies, you have not seen huge increases in your premiums because the, the taxpayers are putting up or foot, footing the bill. If, on the other hand, you make too much money to qualify for these subsidies, you are seeing your premiums start to go up dramatically. And the predictions are that this is going to continue. Now, I don't know if it's going to be today, tomorrow, next year, two years down the line, but I think most people objectively looking at this, realize that unless something major is done, Obamacare is going to collapse on itself. There's not going to be insurance choices that are out there. The premiums are going to be going through the roof. I have argued all along that this is what I think the architects of Obamacare knew was going to happen. They knew that the system they had set up was ultimately going to fail, and their idea is, hey, once it fails, the only alternative will essentially be single-payer health insurance where the government operates as the insurer for 
all of us, which is then just a half a step away from nationalized health care. But now a, a number of Republicans, starting with Paul Ryan, I think believe that that is exactly what the scenario is, that whether it's today, tomorrow, a year, two years from now, Obamacare will fail. They weren't able to get the votes to pass a repeal and replace. A lot of political capital was spent in that failed effort. The headlines all weekend has been, oh, Paul Ryan you know, can't deliver. Donald Trump, big blow. Does this affect the whole agenda of the Republican Party? Can they, in fact, govern? Now the question is, where do you go from here? Big thing number two, what should the Republicans do next? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should, and there's a story in the Washington Post today about how Paul Ryan says, well, you know, mate, um, you know, we'll, we're going to continue to push for health care reform this year. Donald Trump says, look, this, this is over. You know, it, it's, you know, we tried this. It did not work. I'm moving on to other things. So, if you agree with me or you believe like I do that ultimately Obamacare is going to fail, I guess the choice is do you let it fail and then go in and say, okay, now maybe that it's failed, maybe that people don't have these different choices, maybe the premiums have gone through the roof, now we have to do something drastic? Or should the Republicans, led by Paul Ryan, come back and try another plan? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Toll uh, Talk and Text Line. Should we give up health care reform, at least in the immediate future, and let the people who were the architects of Obamacare essentially own what I think is going to happen over the next year, two, or three? We discuss next. 414-799-1620 is the number. Do you want to see Paul Ryan and the Republicans spend more political capital trying to replace Obamacare, something that the polls show at least right now 50-plus percent of the people like? We discuss next. It's 917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Karen in Fond du Lac. Karen, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Karen. Congratulations on the new spot. Thank you. I, I will I will think of you when the alarm goes off at 530 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm right up there with you. This is makes my blood boil because we are exactly those people that make too much to right. be able to qualify, but yet... We can't afford the insurance. So one of us has to make the decision to leave our small, uh, uh, we work for small employers, to leave our job to just go to a place, make less money, but have insurance. Right, right. And my husband needs back surgery. So, so you have to have insurance. Do? Yeah, no, that's that, that's it. And, and see, the, I think part of the re, one of the things that's frustrating to me, Karen, is this the debate has always been when we were looking at like Ryan's proposal, the alternative, they were comparing it to Obamacare as it exists now. And I just believe that that's Obamacare as it exists now is not going to be Obamacare two or three years from now, because uh, unless the taxpayers continue shelling out big dollars to you know prop up these subsidies, more and more people are going to be in, in your situation where it's you, you don't you make too much to get the subsidy, but you don't make enough, like you say, to pay for the, the insurance. Um, so it's just a nightmare scenario. It is. And it's not that we don't want to pay our fair share. It's not that. It's just that it's crushing. And um, to be able to to get something done, 
is going to be almost as much for my husband's back surgery, almost as much as what we would pay out in premiums before yeah. we can even get to a facility that takes any insurance that we might choose. Yeah, my, my guess is, just off the top of my head, Karen, my guess is if, if you were to, in your situation, um, you're, you and your husband, uh, probably, you'd be looking at premiums probably around $2,000 a month or so. Correct. And, Correct. and just this is off the top. And, and my guess is, and those, that gives you a limited range of doctors. I mean, it's not like you're just able to go out and pick and choose your doctors. And my guess is, even with that two grand or so a month, you got crushing deductibles, <laughs> you know, which. 17000 Wow. <laughs> so, so let's say, so ballpark two grand a month, and you can't even collect. You know, you you got to spend the first seventeen. You got to spend seventeen thousand before the insurance even kicks in. Wow. Correct. Wow. <laughs> yes. And, and and you're right. And, and you're and, and you're caught in that because you're, you 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 realize how irresponsible it would be to go without insurance. You can't do that. Wow. No, no, no. We do that. Right. And we will deal with it. Right. Because the fine is far less, but right. it is not wise. To do so. Correct. Absolutely. Well, Karen, I, I there's a lot of people that are in that that leaky leaky boat, and I think there's going to be more and more people as the premiums go up, as and as tax pay unless tax unless the taxpayer subsidies increase dramatically over the next couple of years, you're going to find more and more people who are are getting the only reason they're not upset with Obamacare for a lot of folks is again you're getting the taxpayer subsidies. The taxpayers are underwriting the increased costs. Once that stops, what happens is more and more people make the decision Karen was essentially alluding to that hey, I'm just I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to drop out I'm going to pay the the two thousand or twenty five hundred dollar penalty. I'll just take my chances on this. Let's talk to Ron in Brookfield. Ron, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ. Hi Jeff, how Hi, are you? I'm good, thank you. What do you think? Well, I yeah, I I really feel for Karen's husband. I've had four back surgeries and I, I had insurance, so I can't imagine being in that position. But you know what I find interesting, Jeff, is that during the campaign. And leading up to the election of Donald Trump, the it was about, I mean, I think you probably remember this, approval for the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was about 28, 30%. Yep. yep. And, and then the election happened, and then it was kind of this debacle with the press and, and the Freedom Caucus and everything that was going on at Capitol Hill. Then all of a sudden the people started to like Obamacare right. a little bit more, and the, and the polling started to go up that way because what was being said is, oh, 24 million people are not going to have insurance, and it's going right. to be so dire, and everybody's going to be, you know, out of health care, and oh, my God, and all the, the arms were waving, and everybody was, you know, and, and I mean, you know, I, I can't help but say the media, some of the media, oh. helped create oh. the firestorm around this. Oh, Ron, and- I, I agree with you completely. One, I was frustrating over the last month because a, a lot of the comparisons have been, okay, this is this is the Republicans' plan, this is Obamacare now, and, gee, some people are going to have to pay a little bit more. Well, well, yeah, because if it's going to be sustainable, you, you have to do that. No, and, and then you've got, oh, 24 people, million people are going to lose coverage. Well, they're not going to lose coverage. It's just that some people have the option to not have to buy coverage, so they would make that voluntary choice. But I agree with you. I think the media coverage was shameful on this. 
Well, and you're exactly right. And I think that that's a point that needs to be made. It needs to be made a little bit stronger out there in the media by people like you. And I appreciate what you do mm-hmm. because you're exactly correct. And that was such a misnomer coming out that 24 million people aren't going to be covered. But what they weren't saying is that out of those 24 million people, about 18 million people were going to choose something else or not to be insured. Right, right. So right. it was going to be their choice. It right. wasn't that people were being thrown off of it. Right. It was, you know, and they made it appear that people would be in the gutters and begging for health care and that it would be it, it would right. be Mother Teresa all over again. And that's that's just Right, right, or or the fact that right, or the fact that that some some people like over sixty, but not yet sixty five, so they're not eligible to qualify for Medicare, would see their premiums go up a bit. Well, yes, that that was kind of the reality, but I mean, the alternative is everybody's going to see their premiums go up if something doesn't happen. But let me ask you the bottom line question: Republicans spent a ton of political capital; it did not work. Do you do you go back and try to fix it over the next few months? Do you try again, understanding that maybe you're still going to have these yo-yos in the Freedom Caucus who are going to be undermining it? Or do you just say, let's let this ride out for a year or two, and let's let everybody see how bad Obamacare is going to be? How do you do it politically? Well, <laughs> and that's the good question, Jeff, because it's politically. Do you want to let everybody see, okay, you didn't want it. Now here's what you're going to get. Right. Or do I think during that time, while you're letting everybody just really soak up, okay, this is what it's really going to be like. And during that time, you're working in committee and you're trying to come up with, with a plan that, that works for the entire party and try to acquiesce as much as you can to the Freedom Caucus and make sure you have the votes right. and, and make it all work together. But, but continue to try because I really hope that the Republicans can grab it and lead because I'm sick of everybody saying, "Oh, well, they were they were the party of contention right. for so long. They don't know how to lead now." And I think Paul Ryan is actually the perfect guy to be in the spot he's right. in. And and I, I I think that they should continue to move forward. But if Trump wants to move on tax reform, let's get that done and get the corporate tax rates down. Right, and then so move then they on. Quit yeah, going to Ireland. Yeah, right, right. Thanks for the call, Ron. Yeah. Quit, quit moving to Ireland like Johnson Controls their headquarters. Yeah, I, I think you have to do. I, here's what I think: If I were advising Paul Ryan, you, you got to take this. You got to put this onto the back burner. You work behind the scenes, but just so you understand, there has not been. I believe I don't, I'm willing to be corrected, but I don't think there's been an entitlement program in the history of this country once it has been put in place that has ever been taken away because people get used to those entitlements. Um, you know, the free stuff, and it's very, very difficult. And in some cases, it's very, very politically unpopular to do it. I think you still have to keep working on it because it is a train wreck. But at the same time, I don't think there's any hurry to rush back to it. And, you know, maybe people will come around when they realize how bad this is going to be. It's 928. It's 9. 34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Get to know the people behind the headlines at Insight 2017, hosted by me. See Governor Walker, Summerfest Don Smiley, Bob Babish, many more special guests. Tickets went on sale just a day or two ago. Uh, go to WTMJ.com. We're going to have a lot of fun. It is Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. In addition, if you, if you don't even want to go to the website, 
we make it easy. If you just text us the word tickets to 414-799-1620, we will send you the link. It's going to be a lot of fun. And over the course of the next week or so, we'll be rolling out more guests, but uh, very much looking forward to the evening and hope to see you out there again Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. A lot of fun. And you can get tickets just at uh, WTMJ.com. Or, again, if you just text us on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620, text the word tickets, and we will we will send you the contact information that you need. Coming up in about a half hour, we're going to be talking to State Superintendent of Schools candidate uh, Lowell Holtz. He is running against the entrenched incumbent who is uh, – Tony Evers is probably well, – I, I think it's fair to say he is the only – Liberal statewide office holder left. Maybe, maybe uh, is LaFollette still around? Maybe somebody in one of the offices. But otherwise, I mean, uh, of any sort of significant office at all, um, he would be it. And uh, Lowell Holtz is challenging him. We'll be talking to Mr. Holtz at 10.05. That election is a week from today. It is the only contested statewide race on the ballot. There's one other race um so State Supreme Court Justice Annette Ziegler, who will be one of our guests at Insight on April 19th, um, she is running unopposed for a second 10-year term. She does, uh, actually, I think she does a great job. Okay, big thing number three, Donald Trump follows through on a campaign promise with regard to, with regard to global warming. Over the last few years of his administration, Barack Obama became, in my opinion, obsessed with the whole global warming issue. And what he ended up doing is through one executive order after another, he decided to use his executive power to try to bring his concerns about global warming into pretty much all areas of, of American life. And, you know, if it was different legislation or whatever, he wanted us first and foremost to be concerned with, you know, what is the effect of, of global warming? I am not a global warming denier, by the way. I'm not a climate, at least I'm not a climate change denier. There are more people now than ever in the world. Okay, so that tells me there's more demand for natural resources. In addition, you know, you have a number of countries that are becoming more industrialized. So there's more plants, whatever. So, I mean, I appreciate that there's more man-made gases that are being produced. So I accept that. Where I have an issue is what does it all mean? You know, what is the real impact of this? And what sort of sacrifices are we willing to make? I mean, seriously, are we willing to say to people, you, you're not going to drive your automobiles anymore? Are we willing to sell, say to the Hollywood celebrities, you don't get to fly on your private planes anymore? Are we willing to say to people, all right, well, you know, you, you have to, you're not going to be allowed to turn your thermostats up above 60 degrees in the winter. I mean, is, is that what we are going to say and how far are we going to draw the line? Well, in any event, um, you know, keeping up with his promises, um, today, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, is going to be signing an executive order that will essentially suspend, rescind, or flag for review more than half a dozen measures that, President Obama had been put in place through executive orders, and Trump is doing this in an effort to boost domestic energy production in the form of fossil fuels. Number one, to make power, um, to, whether it's gasoline or power or whatever, to make it cheaper 
for us to a- obtain and also to help promote jobs and job growth. As part of the rollback, he's going to initiate a review of the Clean Power Plan, which restricts greenhouse gas emissions at coal-fired power plants. That was one of the big things both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama uh, West Virginia, all these coal-producing uh, areas, well, their attitude was, well, we, we don't like coal. We don't believe there's any such thing as clean coal. doesn't matter that it's cheap. doesn't matter that it's efficient. You know, we're not going to allow you to produce it. And by the way, if you lose thousands and thousands of jobs, well, okay, too bad. Um, that coal regulation was one of the former president's signature efforts to try to curb carbon emissions. Um, the order is going to go on and on and on to deal with other stuff. Um, for example, the Obama administration, through executive order, had imposed a three-year moratorium on new federal coal leases, um, arguing that, well, you know, we don't like coal. That's apparently going to go as well as part of the war on coal. Um, the order is going to also chip away at other regulations, including scrapping language on the social costs of greenhouse gases. It will initiate a review of efforts to reduce the admission of methane in oil and natural gas production, as well as a Bureau of Land Management uh, hydraulic fracking, fracking rule to determine whether those properly reflect what the law should be. So this is Donald Trump. Following through on a campaign promise, essentially saying, hey, I, I want to create jobs. I want to continue to produce cheap energy, and I want to give businesses as much ability as they possibly can in order to do that. So this is going to already the headlines are screaming, oh, Donald Trump doesn't like the environment. Donald Trump doesn't like the climate. Well, I, I think that the truth is a lot more complicated than that. But big thing number three, today the president is going to be signing executive orders, which essentially – roll back and or eliminate a lot of what I think was the Barack Obama overreach when it comes to global warming slash climate change. Wait for certain heads to explode across the mainstream media. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In about 20 minutes, we'll be talking to State Superintendent of Schools candidate Lowell Holtz. All right, uh, Jane told you about this in the 930 newscast. Um, For years and years, many of us, Wisconsin was the second last state in the country to approve a concealed carry permit system. Um, the argument was, gee, if, if we have this, Wisconsin's going to be kind of like the Wild West. And, and my point was, why do you think Wisconsinites are, are more bloodthirsty than you know people in the 48 other, other states? Ultimately, what ended up happening is once Scott Walker and Republicans took control of the legislature, we had a concealed carry permit law which was passed. The law has been in effect now for going on six years. Uh, and I think, in, in general, it's been very, very effective. More than 300,000 people now have active licenses. And while every once in a while there is a, a situation where you, you get a deal where maybe somebody with a concealed carry permit holder you know, uses a gun improperly, as a general rule, that is, that's the exception. That, that is not the rule. And I think by any objective measure, you know, concealed carry has been a huge, huge success. Um, right now, under current law, what you have to do is um, to get a concealed carry permit, you have to obtain a license and take a training course, all right? Uh, which I think 
is, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I guess you wouldn't, in my opinion, you wouldn't give a 16-year-old a driver's license without making them prove that they knew how to drive a car. When I carried a gun back in another life, I, I had to qualify. I mean, I had to go through this training course, and I had to go down to a range. I had to actually have to prove that I was proficient in, in knowing how to do it, which I, I guess given the awesome responsibility that comes with carrying a firearm, I don't think that that's an unreasonable thing. Now, there are costs that are involved in you know getting the permit, and there's costs that go invo- they're involved with the training. Well, anyhow, there is a bill that's being circulated by a couple of Republican legislators which would allow concealed firearms to be legally carried without, without a license. So the proposed bill would do away with the license requirement for someone who wanted to carry a hidden firearm. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The argument is, well, you know, this, it's an imposition. You have an absolute Second Amendment right. At least that's the argument. Um, So... Why should you have to, you know, shell out a $40 license? You know, why should you have, you know, like, the background check? Why should you have to prove that you are proficient? Why should you get have to get training? All right, is this a good idea or is it a bad idea? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I will tell you, and again, maybe I'm going where angels fear to tread here, and maybe you're going to disagree with me. I think the current system works really well, I think that there's an awesome responsibility that comes with carrying a concealed firearm, and I guess I don't think it is unreasonable to expect that you know you, you get a license and that there be some at least training proving that you know which end of the gun you're supposed to point. Is that really that unreasonable? All right, let's start with Winston and on the south side. Winston, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, what's going on? Okay, All what right, do you think? Uh, absolutely, you got to have training. I'm a police officer, and I have to go through at least, I think it's, well, back in my day when I went through it, it was like 40 hours of training for firearms, and that was just to be certified to carry it. Right. If, if you're going to have people walking around with no training at all, that's like exactly what you said. Somebody gets in the car and starts driving and doesn't know what the heck they're doing. I mean, it's a loaded cannon, is what it is. Well, well, right, and I mean, and I, I would now, I would think that regardless of, regardless of whether you needed a permit or not, or you needed training or you needed a license, most people would do that. But I guess I just don't think that this is this huge burden to say to somebody, okay, you got to take a couple hours of training. What's the training course? It's like four or five hours, however long that lasts. I don't see that as a big deal, just to make sure that people at least have some reasonable proficiency. Well, right. And then going through the training, you build self-confidence. You know when you can use it, when you can't. You understand the laws that are involved. And, yeah, by by just opening it up to anybody right. as a police officer, oh, hey, <laughs> trust me, I'm like, quit. Yeah, thanks. You know? so well, well, and see, and, and right now, we don't... 
you know, I, I, my understanding is as part of the training course, th- there's not even a firearm proficiency thing. I mean, again, when I when I carried the firearm, I was the special deputy U.S. marshal. I mean, I actually had to go to a range, and you know, you you didn't get you didn't. And I know this is how it is for law enforcement folks. You know, you have to you have to qualify constantly. You have to prove that you know how to use the gun, not just that you know what end of the the gun the, the bullet comes out of, but uh, also you have to know. Uh, the different safety things. We don't have proficiency training. I, I'm not calling for this, but actually, I think you could make an argument that you know maybe proving that you you can shoot, that you can see well enough to fire the gun, something like that. I don't know that I think that that's unreasonable. Let's talk to Steve and to Pierre. Steve, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Um, good idea or bad idea to eliminate the licensing and training requirements bad. I, I agree with everything the previous caller said. I've had concealed weapon permits in the state of Connecticut, which are really, really tough to get. I got one here in Wisconsin. Um, I think it's lax as it is even now. I remember when the legislation first came out, um, I'm a lifetime NRA member. I disagreed with M- NRA's stance that there shouldn't be a training requirement. Um, I think anybody who carries a concealed weapon, or really any weapon for that matter, really should have some basic gun training. And the other portion of that, besides that, that's just a small portion of it. Um, A lot of the training should also be around what it means to have that permit, what are your legal rights, when you can use your gun, when you can't. So I I think this is a step backwards. I'm a Second Amendment right guy. People who carry firearms have to be trained. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, and I guess I just don't see this as being that burdensome. Now, I understand that you know it's it's forty or fifty dollars for a license, and it's fifty dollars or more, perhaps for some of these training courses that you have. But to me, that is a very very small price to pay. And again, I without repeating myself, the best example I can give is the driver's license. We wouldn't say to a fifteen or sixteen year old kid, "Here's the keys to the car. Go out, take it on the freeway." If the person had never had any sort of training, um, this is not this is not onerous. And again, again, I don't want to go down this route, but. But it's always bothered me about the concealed carry law that you can qualify for one of these without having to prove that you are proficient. In other words, without having to prove that you can hit what you are aiming at. But but we have not had problems. So, I mean, I'm not talking about toughening the requirements. But with all due respect to people who respect the Second Amendment, I, I think this is a reasonable accommodation. And I think this is a bad move it would be politically unacceptable for a lot of of people um get the permit eric and racine eric you're on 620 wtmj morning jeff morning eric i i agree with you wholeheartedly i am a concealed carry permit holder i took uh hunter safety when i first uh got into hunting it was required yep that's one of the bypasses that you can get out of taking the concealed carry class you can use hunter safety I still took the concealed carry class just for the pure fact that uh, they teach you a lot of the legal issues right. as a permit holder. And uh, where I took it, I took it through the local police department. They actually required us to break down the firearm and show that we could handle the firearm. We didn't have to shoot it, but just the pure education in and of itself was phenomenal. And I wholeheartedly support uh, the yeah. educational side. If you're going to have the responsibility of carrying a firearm concealed, you need to have that education and responsibility to yourself and others to show that you are well equipped 
to be a concealed carry permit holder. Yeah, just explaining people what the law is and when you're allowed to use deadly force and when you're not. So you make sure that people don't get in a trick box thinking, gee, I, I thought I could I thought I could pull out the gun now and do this. And next thing I know, even though I've got a concealed carry permit, I'm, I'm looking at severe criminal charges. Yeah. And, and thanks. I mean, th- there's there's all sorts of reasons for this. And if I thought that the way the state of Wisconsin was operating this was designed to make it difficult for people to exercise their rights to carry a firearm, um, I, I might feel differently. But but 300,000-plus people in six years have gotten the, these concealed carry permits. I, I don't get the sense, and I've never heard from anybody saying, oh, my gosh, this was just the, this so difficult and so onerous. I think most people say, all right, if I'm going to take this responsibility, it is, it's reasonable to have a little bit of training. Um, like I say, I think you could make an argument maybe that you need to have some firearms proficiency, but we're not going that direction. With all due respect to some of the conservatives in the state legislature who are talking about passing this, I, I think this is, I think it's a bad idea. I think it is a politically difficult thing. I think, and I think it's interesting that, you know, from the majority of our calls that we have, people who have concealed carry permit holder, permit holders already saying, I don't think getting rid of the training is such a good idea. I'm with them. It's 956, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1008, Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. A week from today, there is an election, and there's a number of local races in various communities. There's school referendums. There are two statewide races that everybody in Wisconsin gets to vote on. One is for state Supreme Court, although that race is uncontested. Uh, Justice Annette Ziegler is running for a second 10-year term. Uh, She has no opposition. The contested race is for superintendent of schools. And the incumbent, uh, Tony Evers, who is, I think, arguably the the last major liberal-leaning statewide office holder, is being challenged by Lowell Holtz. And we are joined now by Lowell Holtz. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. My, my pleasure. You you have a really interesting background. You were superintendent of schools for the Whitnell School District and the Beloit School District. But beyond that, you, you've done a number of interesting things in your life. Yeah, yeah it's been interesting. It's, but you know what? For me, it's always been about kids. And so, um, and I, I'm one of those guys that believes God's in control. So, um, yeah, it's, I started as a third and fourth grade teacher, which I thought at the time was the most fun job anybody could ever possibly have. Right. Uh, so I became an elementary principal, and that was even more fun. And we really focused on the kids every place I was and, and helping our teachers do the best they could and giving them the time they needed to do well by the kids. And so, um, yeah, I, I grew up in a very conservative household. You know, I think that helped me focus on the local control issues. And those are things that got me, like, the Wisconsin Principal of the Year and National Distinguished Principal. Um, and, you know, I, with my law enforcement uh, background, when I was between teaching and being a principal, we had two little girls, so I also had to uh, work full-time. So I worked full-time in the city of Whitewater as a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great experience, too. I mean, kids are kids, even when they're 21 years old. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so so I mean, you police officer, you were principal, you were a teacher, you were a school superintendent. As you look at this race, and I've been trying to figure out where the major differences are between you and the incumbent. Obviously, let's start with school choice. Well, I'm one of those guys that firmly believes that competition is good. Um, you know, for full disclosure, my dad had one of the first voucher schools in the city of Milwaukee. He had been a Milwaukee police officer, um, and when he retired, he went back to the seminary and was called 
to uh, uh, school on six or church on 16th and Greenfield. And um, he called me up when it was became a voucher school and told me to come take a look. And I was extremely impressed. So I saw firsthand what it looked like. And then I wanted to dig into it further. So I called um, Howard Fuller and said, look, you're the former MPS superintendent. How could you support school choice and vouchers? And he said, from his perspective, he did not want to ever force parents to send their child to a failing district or school. And from his perspective, it was a civil rights issue. From that point on, I was pretty much sold on school choice uh, and opportunities for parents to choose what's best for their kids. And I don't think that's threatening at all to the public school system. Well, some people might say it, for, for every child that leaves the public school system to go to a, a choice school or a charter school or whatever, that, that's, that's money that's taken away from the, the public school system, and it, it's kind of a zero-sum game. I get the idea that you don't, you don't necessarily believe that. No, I don't. Um, and first and foremost, uh, it's important to educate all of our kids, wherever they are. And when I retired as a um, public school superintendent so I could run full-time for this job, um, when we actually increased our taxable, our taxing authority if kids went to one of the parochial schools. So if I didn't know the kids were at um, the Lutheran school or the Catholic school, it didn't, it didn't help me one way or the other. But once they became, if they became school choice or voucher kids, um, I would have to send the $7,200 to that school district because the money follows the kid. Um, but I could then count that child on my um, per pupil count. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, given like $11,000 per pupil. So there was a, actually a net game just for tracking them and keeping them on our records. Um, I would assume that's going to decrease over the years, but it sure hasn't hurt the public schools. And there's so many studies out there now that show it would actually hurt the public schools if all the kids that are in choice and voucher schools came back into the public school system. They wouldn't be able to handle it. Right. We're talking to Lowell Holtz, who's one of the candidates for state superintendent of schools. The election is next Tuesday. Well, let's talk a little bit about, about student achievement, because obviously you don't, you don't spend your life in, in education without caring about how well you know, kids are doing. How are we doing in Wisconsin when it comes to student achievement, and can we do better? Um, we can do much, much better. You know, Tony said... That's that's funny because that's a quote from Tony. He says, we need to do better when he took his oath of office eight years ago. And since then, there's been a steady and swift decline to the very bottom of the barrel. We're the worst state in the nation when it comes to graduation gaps and the worst state in the nation when it comes to achievement gaps. Uh, so that's the gaps between uh, Af- or minority students and white students. We also have the highest incarceration rate for African-American students and for kids in the nation. There's obviously a clear correlation there, and that's failing generations of kids. You know, when you look at the African-American graduation rate in Milwaukee, it's at 56%. Madison's worse, it's 54%. When I was at Whitewater, it had been lower than Madison and Milwaukee, or I'm sorry, uh, in Beloit. Beloit's one of those large urban school districts with 2,400 kids in high school. But we were able to turn that district around and put a system in place that focused on local control, the involvement of business, the involvement of parents, the involvement of the community, giving the teachers time to do what they do best, which is teach. And as a result, even to this day, they're in the high 80s when it comes to African-American graduation rate. Does that mean the kids in Beloit are smarter? No. It means we put a system in place where they could be successful. Now, let's talk about the entire state. The, the NAEP test, the national assessment on our ability to produce proficient and advanced kids, we had less than 40% of our kids in fourth and eighth grade 
proficient in reading and less than 40% proficient in math. Um, that's a failing grade. You know, you look at the forward exam that, that we took last year, we only had 40% of our kids proficient on that test, and that's with his common core test. So we are failing miserably when it comes to achievement, and part of the reason is we're taking time away from our teachers. We're forcing them to do checklists. Um, we're stealing time from them. When we put the educator effectiveness, the teachscape, uh, common core all on their plate, and they're relegated to um, doing data points on each child rather than doing what they used to do best, which is simply teach. And when we give teachers that opportunity, they do the job. So what are a couple of things, a state superintendent of school, that you, you would try to have accomplished in order to prove student achievement? Um, less time doing paperwork, more time in the classrooms for the teachers, I'm, I'm hearing? Absolutely. And safety is a big issue. Um, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and safety is one of those base things. We've, there's been some excellent uh, investigative reports where it shows that teachers are getting pushed around in our large urban districts. Um, school districts all across Wisconsin are not allowed to fail students. They can miss 45 days in a shop class, and the teacher is not allowed to fail them. You want to talk about artificially inflating graduation rates um, or um, artificially trying to improve your suspension and expulsion rates by refusing to keep safety in the school, um, we're failing our kids, we're failing our teachers, we're failing our communities. Um, Tony needs to, he's been in Madison now for almost, well, 16 years, and it's been a steady decline. If he knew how to fix things and didn't do it, that would be malfeasance. If he doesn't know how to fix it, quite frankly, he shouldn't be in the race. Some people predicted that when Act 10 passed a number of years ago, it was going to result in just the decimation of public schools in Wisconsin. How, how in your opinion, how has Act 10 played out? Has it made it... Has, has it hurt the public schools? I don't believe it hurt. I believe it actually helped. Because every year up until Act 10 passed, I had to lay teachers off to meet the budget. After Act 10 passed, I, haven't had, I didn't have to lay off a single teacher um, at all. And what that means is it keeps class sizes smaller. Um, and it, it keeps teachers with a, a more manageable group of kids. Um, it lets you focus on, you know, what's going on in the classroom, what's going on as it relates to the business world, and how can we, you know, partner. Those are so many advantages that Act 10 brought in. And, you know, Tony will say, well, it ruined the environment for teachers. That's not true. You know, teachers are fed up with all the bureaucracy. When I talk to Milwaukee teachers, they say they have to spend an hour every single day entering data. And that's time they used to spend planning for our kids what's best for them in the classroom. And that stuff has to go. Um, it, it's just it's not working. One of the hot issues in education nowadays is the whole concept of, of the Common Core standards. Where do you stand on that? Well, number one, I don't like the idea of Washington D.C. writing the um, curriculum for us in Wisconsin or any other state. And Tony will say, "No, no, you get to choose what uh, uh, standards. Every school board gets to choose what standards they want." That's a blatant lie because we have something called a report card. And on that report card, it grades every school district and every school on how well their kids do on that test. If the test is based on Common Core and you want your kids to do well, you have no choice but to align your curriculum to meet what's being asked on the test. So our hands are tied as long as there's a Common Core test. Superintendents and school boards all across Wisconsin have to submit to the changing of the curriculum by 
bureaucrats in D.C. We need to end that Common Core test so that local school boards can get back to what we had um, a decade and a half ago where they actually could select their own standards and not artificially where they really can do it, where the testing, the accountability is more comparative across the nation rather than just within Wisconsin. Lowell Holtz, candidate for state superintendent of schools. The election is next Tuesday. Thanks for joining me. Very good luck. Good luck coming up in the race. Thanks, Jeff. Have okay. a great day. Absolutely. That's, uh, it, it, again, this is, this is another one of these situations where there is a, a clear choice. You've got the incumbent, Tony Evers, who is supported by the, the education establishment and a lot of the big liberal special interest groups in the state. And you have Lowell Holtz, who is the conservative alternative. And, you know, I, I wanted to focus on issues, and you, you hear this. The I think the, the big thing, of course, is, is school choice, where you have – you know, Lowell Holtz, who says, "Look, I'm 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 in favor of expanding it. I I want I want the kids to be able to learn, and I don't think it's going to hurt the public school. So there is definitely a choice for those of you who choose to vote a week from today. It's ten twenty. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It's ten twenty three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The emotional goodbye to the Milwaukee city worker gunned down on the job. Uh, is this afternoon. Our live coverage begins at 3.30 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Coming up in about eh, 12 minutes or so, the segment is, hey, there's a party at Hondo's house. If you're under 21, go on over. He's serving booze. Stick around. He wants to find out what that topic is all about as well. All right. I, there's an interesting drama that is playing out in Washington, D.C., I've said this before. One of the concerns that I had about Donald Trump when he was running for president is, you know, people would say, well, it, it's all about the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, he's going to appoint, you know, a conservative to the Supreme Court. And, and I admit, I was saying, well, how do we necessarily know that? Well, I freely admit on this one, I was wrong. Uh, he has appointed his nominee is Neil Gorsuch, who is a judge in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals eminently qualified, came through three days of hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. They did not lay a glove on him. These efforts to try to portray him as somebody that's outside the mainstream just completely failed. He's a conservative justice, but he's extremely well thought of by people on the right and on the left, incredibly well respected in the legal community. He is the type, precisely the type of person that you would expect a Republican president to appoint to the same to the United States Supreme Court. Well, the, the Democrats are unhappy. They're unhappy because Republicans control the Senate, and Merrick Garland didn't get an, didn't get a hearing when he was appointed in the last several months of the Obama term. So they're mad about that. Democrats smell blood in the water because they look at these opinion polls and see that Donald Trump is at thirty six percent, and so they say, okay, well we can, you know, we we are emboldened to want to fight Donald Trump. The people on the far left are just nuts nowadays. I mean, it, it's just Trump hysteria. And people on the far left are pressuring a lot of the Democrats, uh, particularly in the Senate, to just block, try to block everything Trump does. So you got to just say no, 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 no. And now the litmus test is, hey, if any Democrat decides to go along with anything that the Republican majority wants, well, you're going to be in trouble the next election. We'll run somebody against you that's to the left of you, or we'll cut off your money or any of those things. So you put that all together, and the Democrats have become the, the party of no when it, it comes to this. You need 60 votes to – you need a majority of votes. You need 51 votes to be approved to the United States Supreme Court. In the Senate, for Supreme Court justices, there is still 
the ability to filibuster. That, that's the rule. Harry Reid did away with that filibuster rule when it came to uh, federal judges, circuit court judges, and appellate judges. But it remains in place for Supreme Court appointees, at least as of right now. And the, the Democrats have pretty much said that they're going to do everything they can to block the nomination of Neil Gorsuch. Not because they really think he's unqualified, just because they, they want to do this. So right now, the Judiciary Committee, um, they were allowed under the rules to seek a one-week delay, Democrats and the Judiciary Committee, on a vote to approve sending the nomination to the Senate floor. So there's going to be a, a one-week delay. So early next week... The Judiciary Committee will vote. It's a majority of Republicans. They will approve sending the nomination to the floor. Now the Democrats are saying, well, it, it doesn't matter. We, you, you can put it on the floor, but, you know, we are, we're not going to allow an up or down vote. We are going to try to filibuster this. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's Neil Gorsuch or whoever else the president might appoint. I mean, this is now the strategy that's going to be employed. We're going to try to block anything and anyone that the president sends over. So I think right now you have behind closed doors a number of Republicans, including our very own Senator Ron Johnson, for example, who really appreciate the traditions of the Senate, but at the same time aren't going to allow a minority to roll them. So right now there's decisions going on as to, all right, how do you make sure that this nomination is going to get to the floor? My prediction is Neil Gorsuch will be confirmed. My prediction is also this is unfortunately one of the hills that the Democrats in the Senate are going to choose to figuratively speaking die on by saying okay we're we're just going to we're going to filibuster and we're not going to allow for a vote and as a result the republicans don't be surprised if mitch mcconnell changes the rules just like harry Reid did it's unfortunate that it's come to that but when this is the strategy we're not going to give them an up or down vote despite the fact that donald trump won the election um, you can't go for four years or eight years without supreme court vacancies being filled so uh, Neil Gorsuch is going to be the next Supreme Court justice. That's my prediction. It's just going to take a little bit longer. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you receive today's TMJ for TV over the air, in other words, if you use rabbit ears or an antenna to watch TV, you might experience a temporary reduction or loss of the station signal over the next couple of days. But, but, there's good news. This is due to a technical upgrade that the folks at TMJ4 say will be completed soon, and they'll be back up to full power as quickly as possible, and then everything's going to be better. So just uh, all things must pass. So if you've got a problem, don't worry. It's going to take care of itself. All right. I want to lead into this. And this is – this is I'm, I'm mindful about what I'm about to say. It leaves me perhaps open to one of those challenges of, oh, you're being inconsistent, or, or actually, what a hypocrite you are. All right, back in the day, years and years and years ago, decades ago, when I when I was a young man, the drinking age was 18. Right? Now now it's it's 21 and the drinking age was 18. And I I have to confess, and Hondo is producing the show today and always I have to confess that I had a beer or two before I was was 18. I I just I I confess. And um one of my very, very good friends, and even though the statute of limitations has long passed, one of my very, very good friends, um, his mom, his mom allowed his place to kind of be the hangout place. And we would go over and we'd play cards and we'd do things like that. Um, it, my, my friend's mom was just was just a dear woman. Now, as I, as I look back on some of this stuff, I 
It was just a different time. That's my only defense. It was a different time. But um, we, we used to... We used to go and we'd, we'd, we'd hang out and, you know, we'd play cards. We, you know, and, and people wouldn't get stupid drunk or anything like that. But, yes, I admit that before before I was 18 years old, I, from time to time, had, had a beer. So I appreciate there there is potentially the hypocrisy alert here. But that was a long time ago. Things have changed dramatically over the years. Last October, a court of appeals, a state court of appeals decision came out um, it involved a situation where there was this Wisconsin father who threw a graduation party for his son up in Fond du Lac, where lots of underage drinking occurred. The father, the cops bust the party. The father gets cited for violating a Fond du Lac County ordinance that prohibits adults from hosting underage drinkers in their homes. And the, the dad gets a $1,000 fine. The dad lawyers up and goes into court and challenges the law. And without going into the particulars, he says the way the law is written, it doesn't prevent private people from hosting underage drinking parties at their houses. He made the argument that the way the law was written, it it only applied to Drinking establishments, and without going in again into the particulars, it's a definition of interpret how you interpret premises. But this appeals court says, you know, we, we look at the law and we say, yes, the way this law is written, it says that, you know, a, a bar can't host an underage drinking party. But if you do it at your home, it's not covered by the law. Okay, so that's what the appeals court rules. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but that is their interpretation of the law. So at least with this appeals court ruling hanging out there, there is an open question as to whether or not if you have, again, a parent or if uh, you've got a 24-year-old guy who decides, hey, I want to have a party and I want to have a bunch of high school kids over and and I want to host the underage drinking party, you know, is, is he allowed to do that under the law? So there's a new bill that's being introduced by a couple Republican legislatures, which would close what they call this social host loophole in current state law. What the law would then say is it, it's illegal for adults who allow underage drinking in their homes under the proposal. Adults could be held responsible both if they give teenagers express permission to drink in their house so you, you host the party. Um, or if they fail to intervene in underage drinking, if they know it's happening on the property or the party they, they, the property they occupy or own. So if you actually host the party, okay, that would be an offense. Um, or you know, if you have knowledge that the party is, is going on, maybe you're asleep, it's 11 o'clock at night, you wake up, you hear all sorts of loud noise, and you see that, you know, your kid has a, a keg in the backyard, and there's a bunch of kids who are, you know, 16 or 17 or 18-year-old drinking, this would then make that a crime for sure. People who break the law could be fined $500 for the first offense and then face increasing penalties for subsequent offenses, ultimately up to nine months in prison if you are a repeat offender. This is, again, it's designed to close what at least some people interpret as a loophole in the law, which would make it clear that it is illegal for adults to either host or knowingly allow 
underage drinking on parties on the premises. Um, this I don't think would apply. This wouldn't apply. There's another state law that allows like your your kids, you know, if they're under your supervision to to drink. That's a separate sort of law, but that's just your kids. So this would allow this would prohibit adults from hosting or knowingly allowing underage drinking at their house. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the argument that always comes up is, look, I know the kids are going to drink. Jeff, you know, when you were underage, you drank. I know the kids are going to drink. And so rather than the kids going out and getting a case of beer and going to the woods somewhere and pounding down the beer and then getting behind the wheel of the car and driving, since I know they are going to do it, it's much better to simply have it be in a controlled environment. If they want to come over to my house and go down to the basement and drink beer, I know they're going to do it anyways. So isn't it better to have them at my house under control where at least there's some adult that's present as opposed to out and about, you know, in their cars or whatever? That's the argument that's out there. Where do you stand on this? Should it be illegal for adults to host or knowing either host underage drinking parties or knowingly allow them to to occur should that be a crime 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line we discuss next it's 1042 if you're on the line please hold on this is jeff wagner Ten forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Okay, there's now a loophole in state law because of a court of appeals decision, which makes it questionable about whether or not it's against the law for adults to host underage drinking parties at their houses. Republican legislators are now getting ready to close this quote-unquote loophole, uh, pass a law which makes it very clear that it is against the law for you as an adult to host underage drinkers or to knowingly allow the underage drinking to occur. Is this a good idea? Hans in Greenfield, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Uh, I'm your age and... You know, we're in our mid-50s, and we drank. got to remember, we had it was 18 when we were kids. I, that, that's why I started this off by saying I, I freely acknowledge that I, I had a beer or two when I was 16. I admit it. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you, right, I'd rather have my mom or dad knowing that we're in the basement playing uh, Pawn or Atari back in our day. Right, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, well, but the, a here's beers... And you get them home safe. To me, they're going to drink anyhow, and I'd rather have them in a controlled situation than out on the streets. What about though the parents? Okay, you you know you your mom and dad might be the the quote unquote cool parents, but what about the parents of some of your friends who would be appalled that that their kids were drinking beer? Who wouldn't agree to that? Um, well, Number one, my parents would let the other parents know. Okay. Okay? It's like, we know, you know who the Eddie Askles were and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay? okay. <laughs> it's like, it's going to happen. Your kid may be the nicest kid, but he's probably the one that is the da-da-da. But, no, I have no problem having a couple kids, 16, 17 years old, having a couple beers, playing a video game, 
as long as I'm watching them, and I'll get them home safe. Okay, uh, good. No, okay, I appreciate the yeah. call. Thanks for calling. I want to get a number of 414 That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Han says, hey, I, I don't support this law. I, I think that if I want to host an underage drinking party, as long as I'm I'm supervising and I'm watching it, that that's that's fine. Now, the problem with this is, you know, where, where do you draw the line? What if it's not mom or dad? What if it's, you know, big brother? You know, what if, you know, the, the 22-year-old brother home from college, he's the one that's home when the, the 17-year-old, you know, high school brother decides that, you know, they, they want to, hey, mom and dad are out of town. Here, let, let's have this party. I mean, do you... Do you hold? Does it have to be a parent, or now you've got an adult? Is that a different sort of scenario? And and how do you reconcile with the the parents of the kids who might be at the party, who who would be appalled if they knew that their children were being able allowed to drink at the age of seventeen or eighteen by by somebody else? I mean, how how do you do that? I guess the other concern I have is. I understand in theory it's like okay I'm going to watch the kids I'm going to have this under control but but what do you do if it's if it's a graduation party all right and so you've got 20 or 30 or 40 kids and they're all drinking a little bit how do you watch all those kids what happens when one of the kids you know says okay I'm I'm going to leave I'm I'm heading out grabs the car keys starts driving away and hits and kills you know the the six year old neighbor girl who's playing in the crosswalk I mean is is this a good idea? And I understand discussing this, there is a little bit of this, like, do as we say, not as we, we did. Let's talk to Todd in Brookfield. Todd, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks. When my son turned 18, I didn't agree politically with the 21-year-old. It wasn't 21 when I was right. that age. He could drink at home. He could not drive after drinking, and none of his friends were allowed to drink at our house. But the whole, they're going to drink anyway, the whole mysterious, you take it away from them, they're going to want it more, that never occurred with us. And But on the other hand, when you start introducing the element of other people's children right. into your home, you don't have the right to make the decision. They have to make that decision yeah. personally, the same way I did with our son. And yeah. he was allowed to drink at home. It was never a problem of drinking and driving. Of the six-year-old in the crosswalk, we never had the issue. But on the other hand, none of his friends were allowed to drink in our house. Right, so you would have never had this idea. Even if you know the friends, even if you think they're a bunch of nice kids, you would have never allowed him to have five or six kids over at the age of 17 or 18 and, and have a party down in the basement where they're, they're drinking beer or whatever. You just wouldn't have allowed that. No, I wouldn't have allowed it. And, and I, I suppose it never occurred, but I suppose if five or six sets of parents wanted to come over to our home... right. And make that decision for their specific child in our basement. I, I it would have been an, an environment, but the whole party thing and and the fact that parents think they can control what goes on at a party is ridiculous. Well, right. See that that's why because I'm, I'm trying to imagine. I mean, I understand it, it sounds good in, in concept. All right, we we want to keep them off the roads. We're gonna make we're gonna try to keep it under control. But right, you, so you got ten or fifteen, you know, teenage kids. Um, yeah, how one or two decide they're going to get behind the wheel of a car. I mean, how can you monitor all those kids? It's just no, you can't. Right, right, exactly. No, thanks. See, that's I, I guess that that's the concern concern I have about this. First of all, in today's day and age, from a liability perspective, if you host underage drinking parties, let's forget about the law for a second. If you host underage drinking parties, in my opinion, this is me wearing my recovering lawyer hat. Um, free legal advice from recovering lawyer. It, it's you are just opening yourself up to so, 
so many potential problems because what happens what happens if the kid does somehow get hurt the kid gets away from you know your supervision gets behind the wheel of the car hurts themselves or hurts somebody else and it turns out that you either provided them with alcohol or knowingly and intentionally allowed them to drink alcohol and i just i mean i just think it's a practical matter thinking control kids that's just a, a pra- that's a recipe for disaster but i agree with todd i mean the basic premise is I don't think that you as a parent should get the right to make the decision for other people's kids. And like I say, if if you don't care if your kid has a, a beer or two at the age of 17, that that's fine. I'm certainly be the last one to criticize that. But I don't think you get to make that call for other people's kids. And I think there's a lot of people's kids, parents who, who would actually be appalled if, hey, uh, you know, you mean you were over at, you know, so-and-so's house, you were at Jeff's house and you were drinking? Where, where were Jeff's parents? Well, they were there. They knew what was going on. They knew it was going on. I mean, I think a lot of people would be extremely upset about that. Gary in Sussex. Gary, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Um, my wife and I, we just got back from the Caribbean and we were at staying at a all-inclusive resort when the beer and, and uh, tequila go flowing like the rivers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there, and we watched adults drinking, and they were responsible. But then the high school kids were out there puking and drinking <laughs> like crazy and getting into fights and all sorts of stuff. As far as I'm concerned, you know, when you go out there, I, I'm for the law, okay, just to right. say. And um, if you sit there and you start telling these kids, well, you know, it's okay to drink... You know, when you're younger, 16, 17 years old. I mean, these kids, when they grow up and they learn responsibility and, and, and get out working rather than being in high school and living off their parents, you'll be a lot more responsible on, on acting as an adult by drinking. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, telling these kids you can start drinking at 16 and having parties with the kids, it's like telling your daughter, well, I know you're going to be messing around, so here's some condoms. You know? <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. I'm, no. I'm with you. No, thank, thanks. You know, it's interesting that the, the numbers are about a third of Wisconsin kids aged 12 to 20 drink alcohol. Ages 12 to 20. We're not talking about 18 and 19 or 20 year olds. We're talking about 12 to 20. About a third of Wisconsin youth ages 12 to 20 drink alcohol. Almost one in five. Almost 20 percent drink five or more drinks at once, according to this report from the State Department of, so- of Health Services. So this isn't. This isn't responsible drinking. This is this is you're going to the parties. You've got the red cup and, and you're pounding down, you know, what, whatever you possibly can. I guess I I think I'm not taking any position on the Court of Appeals decision about whether it was a right right decision or wrong decision in the terms of the law. But I do think this is a huge loophole. And I, I think it's I guess it's one thing if you want to host if you're an adult and you want to host a party and you know who the kids are and all the other moms or dads have signed off on this. You know, maybe it's a close-knit group in the neighborhood, and, hey, I'm going to let the kids have beer. Is that okay with you? But that's not the reality of most of these things. It's just these spontaneous parties. Why as an adult you want to take the responsibility for this is beyond me. If the parents, I guess, sign off, it's one thing. But that's not the case. I think this is a good law, and I think it should probably pass. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Jane Matinier. All right, I'm 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 curious as to whether we're on the same track. I, I actually, you know, we're pretty simpatico on a bunch of different issues. Um, in March of 2011, uh, in Japan, there was an earthquake and a tsunami which caused a meltdown at this nuclear plant. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, 
so you, you have all this nuclear radi- radiation that is escaping, right? There's all these little towns, these small towns near the, the nuclear plant that they were evacuated. They became like, like ghost towns and stuff. Well, starting April 1st, starting um, on Saturday, the Japanese government is going to start allowing the, the residents, the, the, like the 20,000 people who like lived in one of this town, sure. these towns, which is like two miles away from ground zero, they're going to start allowing them to move back into, into the town and start living there again. Now, one of the conditions, though, is apparently there's all these radioactive wild boars, which have kind of like taken over the town. And so you, you have to be willing to kill the radioactive wild boars that might be running around. But they're going to allow these people to move back into this town. Now, here is my question. If you were a resident of that town, <laughs> would you be moving back in? Only if the government officials move back first. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, I'm, the thousands of people are going to be moving back in. And I re- I'm just looking at this story going, no blanking. I don't care if this was my hometown. I don't care if I loved everything about this town. Okay, there's been a nuclear meltdown after an earthquake tsunami. You've got radioactive wild boars. There's all this radiation in the water or the ground and whatever. I mean, unless I want to grow a you know another giant eye in the middle of my forehead or, or something, or turn into a radioactive board. right? Yeah, or turn into a radioactive. What do you do once you shoot? Hopefully, you don't eat the thing. But no, okay. I just I was just wondering because I'm looking at the story and all these people are moving back in, There's and I'm a big thinking clamor for them. They really want to go back. There. Yeah, the trains are going to start. I mean, that's, I've got multiple stories. They're ten. They expect thousands and thousands of people to move in to the, these various towns in the immediate ring of of what they've been calling the hot zone, meaning it's maybe, radioactive. Maybe they don't want any relatives visiting them. <laughs> Could be. Um, it's 11 o'clock. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This March, take your tournament watching to a whole new level of madness with Flanners. Anybody can sell you a big screen, but why stop there? Flanners is one-on-one with the big box stores on price, yet only Flanners has the tech-savvy, experienced staff who do more than coach from the bench. Hey, if you can't be courtside, make it feel like a home game at Flanners. Two locations, one just inside Colders off I-94 on Highway 100 in West Dallas and off I-43 on Highway 60 in Grafton. Flanners, just press play. Back by popular demand, five-man acapella vocal group Rockapella returns to the Cedarburg PAC Friday, March 31st. From catchy original songs to contemporary remakes of Motown pop and soul classics, their signature vocal sound has charmed audiences for decades. Whether it's your first Rockapella performance or you're back to see them again, get your tickets now before it's too late. Visit CedarburgPAC.com or call 262-376-6161. Experience a world of performance right here in Cedarburg. This week's sponsor of Jeff Wagner's Spring Improvement Showcase is Batsner Pest Control. In less than one week, get ready to... Fly ball, right center and deep. Hey, get up! Get out of here! Go! Opening day live coverage starts Monday at 8.30. We are the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ, Milwaukee. 32, 39 degrees. Clouds this morning, but sun moves in this afternoon. A high today near 45. I'm Jane Matnair. Police in Brookfield are looking for a white female in connection with a bank robbery Saturday morning. It happened at the BMO Harris Bank on 124th Street. The suspect was wearing a hot pink hoodie under a blue jean vest. She wrote a note claiming she had a weapon. An undisclosed amount of money was taken. The five foot two woman in her 20s or 30s was last seen on foot heading toward 124th and Burleigh. The Trump administration appears to be moving on 
on from a health care overhaul, but it might soon take on something that is just as complicated. President Trump could soon look to tax reform. UW-Madison political science professor Ken Mayer. That's an issue that is actually even more conflictual than health care because now you're dealing with an issue that directly affects virtually every interest group in Washington. Mayer says the administration will also have to deal with the budget before long. The resolution that funds the federal government expires at the end of April. Michelle Richards, WTMJ News. A new study has some discouraging news about kids and lead exposure. The study of more than 500 New Zealanders who grew up in the days of lead in gasoline found that exposure to the powerful neurotoxin has affected their IQs and professional prospects into middle age. Duke University's Aaron Rubin. 30 years after following up with someone, we find that not only have they lost IQ points over time, but there's been accompanying loss in socioeconomic status. Suggesting the children exposed to lead-contaminated water in Flint, Michigan, will have to be monitored not for years, but decades. Vicki Barker, CBS News. A man and woman accused of abusing a dog will be going to trial in Fond du Lac. A woman who bought the dog from the pair in November later found an infected six-inch gash that was hidden by a harness. They deny knowing about the wound when confronted by police. The pair could get more than three years in prison if they're convicted. A third person who lived in the same house is accused of not reporting the abuse. The court date has not yet been set. The Coast Guard hauling in a big catch of cocaine from Central and South American waters at Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale. Today, Captain Mark Fedor, commanding officer of the Coast Guard Cutter James, says 16 tons of cocaine worth $420 million are coming ashore. Yeah, those numbers are pretty impressive. Uh, 16 tons, $420 million. $420 million is almost enough to buy another one of these ships. Sports, traffic, and weather are next. WTMJ News Time, 1104. Congressman Glenn Grothman says he will not run for Tammy Baldwin's U.S. Senate seat. There are other people who would have a better chance of defeating her. Get the full story in the Wisconsin's Afternoon News section at WTMJ.com. The Free Senior Communities asks, what kind of conversations are you having? I don't know what to do with my mom. I mean, she's fine. She's pretty healthy. She gets around just fine. But she's living at home alone. She's not getting out to visit with friends like she used to. She's not going to church as much anymore either. Ever since my dad passed away, it's like she's given up. I've asked her if she's okay, and she's always saying yes, but she's just not the same person anymore. I really think she's lonely, and that's just so sad. My sisters and I talk about it all the time. We want so much more for her. We want her doing things with friends, being social, and doing activities besides TV. We worry she's not eating well or that she's not taking her medications like she should. We just don't know how to talk to her about moving. She always said she wants to stay in her house till the end, but we don't think it's the right thing for her. How do we talk to her about this? What do we say? Capri Senior Communities. They might just have some answers that will help. Come join the conversation. With spring coming, it's time to educate yourself on the three criteria needed to decide which lawn service to use. First, they need to have turf management experience on staff. Two or more should have at least a BS in turf management to be able to teach their techs properly. At Weedman, we not only meet this criteria, but have team members with a master's and our operations director has a Ph.D. No other locally owned company can make that claim. Secondly, the company you choose should be using at least 60% slow-release nitrogen fertilizer each application. Any lower percentage, and it won't last long enough between treatments. Some unreputable ones may tell you, yeah, we use slow-release fertilizers, but they fail to tell you it's only with one or two of their apps. 
Bottom line, check out their billing statement to verify the percent of slow release used. At Weedman, we use only the best golf course quality products on your lawn. Weedman is recommended by landscapers, golf course superintendents, and people like Ron Jay, who says, I've hired and fired four different companies over an eight-year period. Weedman is the only company that has been able to get the job done. Go to WeedmanUSA.com for a free quote. Lawn care companies are not all alike. Time for a WTMJ Sports Update. The Bucks are in a virtual three-way tie for the fifth playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee is at Charlotte tonight. Our Buckshots coverage starts at 540. Junior Guerra gets his last start of the spring for the Brewers today in Arizona as opening day looms just six days away. Guerra will again get the nod in the season lid lifter Monday at Miller Park against the Rockies. And NFL owners have okayed the relocation of the Raiders from Oakland to Las Vegas but intend to stay by the Bay in their old stadium until their new stadium in Sin City is finished. Doug Russell, WTMJ Sports. WTMJ Pell at WI.com. Time saver traffic. 94 inbound Highway 16 to the zoo. An 11-minute ride from the zoo to the Marquette 7. 41-45 southbound from Highway Q to the zoo. We'll take you 14. 43 inbound Brown Deer to the Marquette. That's 12. And 94 inbound Layton to the Marquette. Seven minutes. Traffic is sponsored by the Equitable Bank. With a featured fixed mortgage rate of 4.03%, now is the time to get your real deal pre-approval. Show sellers you're serious. Visit TheEquitableBank.com. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. Your WTMJ five-day forecast for this Tuesday. Morning clouds giving way to some afternoon sun. It's going to be a bit cooler out there with temperatures in the low to mid-40s. For tonight, mainly clear and seasonal, down to near 33. Tomorrow on our midweek Wednesday, partly to mostly cloudy skies return. Seasonal readings near 43. We'll see rain developing tomorrow evening, mixing with snow late tomorrow night. And then that slushy accumulation making for slick conditions on Thursday morning. Eventually, that'll change to rain during the day on Thursday. It'll be a bit cooler again with highs near 41. Friday drying out, mostly cloudy, a bit warmer near 43. And Saturday, mostly sunny and warmer near 50. I'm WTMJ Storm Team 4 Meteorologist Scott Steele. The barometer is rising. The Lake Michigan water temperature 40 degrees. Right now in Madison, it's 41. In Green Bay, 39. In Waukesha, 44. In Milwaukee, we're at 39 degrees. Watch today's TMJ4 News for your complete Storm Team forecast. Opening day less than a week away. Catch our coverage of opening day live starting at 835 with Jeff Wagner next Monday morning. I'm Jane Matinair, News Radio 620 WTMJ. It's 11.08. Of course, Jane, you realize that I, I, two and a half hours of talked about all these different issues, all everybody's going to take away from, from this, this discussion. People can say, do you hear Wagner and, and, and Matt Nair talking about wild, radioactive wild boars running through Japan? That's one of those things that just sticks with you, <laughs> radioactive boars. I'm watching this video of this guy shoot. They, they brought, because, of course, the, the town has been evacuated because... It's like a nuclear meltdown, and so the only thing left there are like the cockroaches and the the wild boars that have been running around eating radioactive stuff for however long. And so they bring some of these sharpshooters in. I, I was actually earlier this morning watching these, these YouTube video of these sharpshooters, and these are huge, They're mean, big, animals. big yeah. wild boar, and try trying to take some of them out. So do they, do they glow? Can you hunt at night? I- <laughs> Now, see, that's a that's a very good question. That is a very, I, uh, but I, I will tell you, all, all I have to hear is radioactive wild boars and power plant meltdown, and I'm not going anywhere near there. You know, it doesn't matter. I think that's a good rule to live by. <laughs> that is, that, we're going to make that Wagner's rule of life number fifteen, right? Uh, right. If you live near a nuclear power plant and it has a meltdown, um, just relocate, relocate. All right, that's nuclear. I, you cannot make this stuff up. All right. Um, 
turning our attention to a serious policy matter that is being oh before that let me just mention a couple things i was just talking to our digital folks um you can go to WTMJ.com, check out our mobile app, um, download the various podcasts, and I know thousands and thousands of you are downloading uh, the podcast of this show. I very much appreciate it. Um, other of our WTMJ shows, Greg Matzik and now uh, Scafidi and Billstat, you can download those as well. Um, also, we have podcasts of a number of voices that you don't hear on a regular basis on the radio. Some are very, very good. They're all interesting. You can check it out, again, on uh, the WTMJ mobile app, but I do appreciate Go and download the podcast. You can listen to the whole show if you can't hear all three and a half hours that's it as jane was just mentioning opening day is a week from yesterday and if you haven't heard our opening day coverage in the past well i mean in my opinion we do opening day well and and one of the innovations that we had we started last year is i've been doing the opening day show for several years because i just i love everything about opening day and what we do is we arrange actually it's the royal we Uh, My friend, Uncle Carl, who is the head of our radio network, Uncle Carl arranges the different guests in conjunction with the Brewers. And, you know, historically, Bob Euchre will come down, we'll chat. Mark Atanasio, the owner of the Brewers, will generally have the general manager. We'll talk to Craig Council. I haven't seen the full lineup yet, so I'm not promising anything. But those are typically the folks that we're going to have there, um, a number of the players. But we started last year, and it worked so well. We're doing it again. I'm broadcasting from the dugout. The entire show will originate from the dugout. And you do want to be listening because there is always, there, there's always that interesting thing. You never know what's going to happen. Like yesterday, last year, I remember it's of course the first base dugout, and they're out taking infield practice. And I'm watching the shortstop who, instead of throwing the ball at the first baseman, throws the ball, oh, about. I would say 15 feet down the first baseline, away from the first baseman, right into the dugout. I'm watching this ball come flying in. So you want to be listening because you never know exactly what's going to happen. And if I show up for work the next day, you know, with a big black eye or something, we'll, we'll have to do a Facebook Live thing. But that is next Monday as well. Plus, while I'm at it, um, Insight 2017. It is Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets went on sale just a couple days ago. You can go to WTMJ.com. You'll see the big logo. Click on it. Tickets are 20 bucks. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun. We've got a great guest list. We'll be announcing more guests over the course of the next um, few days. A lot of fun. In addition, if you text the word, if you don't want to go to the website, you can text the word tickets to 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we'll send you the contact information to get tickets. Uh, so that is tickets, plural, T-I-C-K-E-T-S. Okay. There is a huge issue that is brewing between the Trump administration and a number of cities on the whole question of cooperation with federal authorities with regard to immigration. A number of cities, now there's over 100 cities in the country, which have declared themselves to be, quote-unquote, sanctuary cities. In other words, Los Angeles is one. Chicago is one. Um, there, Madison is one to an extent. There, there's... There's some disagreement about what precisely it means to be a sanctuary city. But but in essence, a sanctuary city is one where the the local authorities are directed not to cooperate with federal law enforcement when it comes to notifying customs people about 
people who are in the country illegally that have come into contact with local law enforcement. So maybe it's one of these deals where, you know, we arrest somebody. He's sitting in the jail. She's sitting in the jail. Um, we know the person's an illegal alien, but we don't contact customs. We don't com- contact immigration to notify them that. We're out doing an investigation. We come across somebody who is in this country illegally. We do not share that information with the, the federal government. There's a, a federal law that, that goes back to 1996, um, and the law forbids imposing restrictions on the ability of local police or sheriffs to exchange information with federal immigration authorities about the citizenship or immigration status of prisoners in their custody. Um, and, and this law is it's designed to discourage efforts by cities or, or states to block these talks, the idea being, hey, you know, we, we, we need this kind of cooperation and we, we need this to happen if if you, as a Milwaukee Police Department, come across somebody who is illegally in this country, um, we, we need you to tell immigration about it so the immigration people can come and, and can pick them up. All right. Well, a number of, again, cities and states have decided we don't want to do this. So what happened yesterday is the the Trump administration, through Attorney General Jeff Sessions, came out and said, this is what's going to happen. State and local governments who are asking, who are seeking law enforcement grants. In other words, if you want federal money to help your policing efforts, you want, you know, and there's, I mean, I mean, my goodness, there's just a ton of federal grants that are out there, you know, whether it's for community prosecutors or police on the street or, or whatever. What, what the Trump administration is saying is, okay, state or local government, if you want law enforcement grants, if you want federal money to go help you with your police force or to underwrite things, what you're going to have to do is you are going to have to comply with this law that bars officials from withholding information from customs. If you don't do that, if you do not cooperate as the law requires, you are not going to be eligible for federal money. And so that's the that's the carrot and the stick. You know, the law says you're supposed to cooperate, but if you don't, we're cutting off your federal resources for law enforcement. So now you've got the mayor of Los Angeles and you've got uh, the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, screaming bloody murder. Oh, this is terrible. I, I can't believe that just because, you know, we don't want to turn over names and just because we don't want to cooperate with immigration, you're going to put the lives of our citizens at risk by not giving us federal dollars. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who is it? that is really putting the lives of citizens on the line by not cooperating with federal officials. If something bad happens, is this going to be on the Trump administration or is it going to be on the mayors or the common councils of the various sanctuary cities? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Toll Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonable for the Trump administration to say, hey, if you're not going to cooperate with us as we try to enforce federal immigration laws, fine, you're not getting federal tax dollars for law enforcement. It's 1117. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Uh, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1120. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes. 
say goodbye to your landline. Right now, we're talking about this this big brouhaha, which escalated yesterday. Uh, the Trump administration, through the attorney general, said, look, you know, there's all these sanctuary cities out there. There's a federal law that says it's against the law for states to refuse to cooperate with federal law enforcement officials on immigration matters. If you're going to take that position, state, city, whatever, we are going to cut off federal funding for law enforcement. No more grants, no more anything. And, of course, you've got mayors of some of these cities that are now saying, oh, this is terrible. Trump doesn't care about, you know, crime in our city. What's going to happen if we lose all these federal grants? Well, is it really the administration? And is this policy unreasonable? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Linda in Wauwatosa. Linda, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Good Hi, morning. Linda. I think it's a little ironic that law enforcement is refusing to obey a law. Yeah, or or the mayors or county executives or common councils are directing law enforcement to refuse Correct. to obey a law. Yeah. Yes, and and I don't I don't think that people I don't think that the police department should be walking up and down sidewalks and approaching law-abiding citizens to find out if they are here legally or illegally. Right. But if someone breaks the law and comes in contact with the police then I think our community will be safer if those people who have broken the law and maybe committed a crime yeah. are reported to are reported to immigration. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I, I agree completely. There, there's two different things. It's one thing, like you're talking about, to say, okay, we're going to have law and we're going to have street cops walking up and down the street asking people if they're if about their citizenship status. I agree with you on that. But like you say, if if somebody gets arrested for drunk driving. You know, they come into the jail and, you know, you run a background check and it's apparent this person is in the country illegally. You're darn right that they should contact immigration. You know, who who are who are they to make the decision that here we're not going to cooperate with this? And then what happens when the drunk driver gets released, goes out and, and does it again and kills somebody? I mean, it it makes no sense not to cooperate with the law. Yeah, I, I don't understand what their rationale is for not turning potential criminals over to immigration. I just, I don't understand the rationale. No, well, thanks to call. Well, it, it, I mean, the, the argument is that it's, it's, oh, this is, this is just so terrible um, that, you know, if, if we do this, what's going to happen is that, you know, people aren't going to trust the police and things like that. I mean, I'm looking at the comments that the, that the mayor of L.A. made. Slashing funds for first responders, for our ports and airports, for counterterrorism, crime fighting, and community building services, um, no one not this city, not the federal government, not the American people. We'll fight to protect safety and dignity of all Angelinos, um, blah de blah 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 Okay, here, here's the point. Um, I would say this to the mayor of Los Angeles. You are the ones, you're the ones that has the key to the, to, the, to, the, to the bank vault. You've got the key. If the federal funding goes away, it's not because of anything the Trump administration did. It's because... You made the decision to decide to ignore a law that has been on the books for 20-plus years requiring you to cooperate with federal law enforcement when it comes to immigration matters. I mean, that's 
That's what the bottom line of all this is. And if you decide, okay, we we want to take a stand, we don't like immigration, we don't like the Trump policies, we don't like the fact that people are in this country illegally who come into our jails and stuff, then are going to get deported. Surprise follows the surprise. Fine, you make that policy decision, but then you end up living with the consequences. And again, this is... This is the same thing that the federal government has done in many different contexts. As I've said before, the reason we have a a uniform 21-year-old drinking age across the country, it's not a federal law. Each state has its own drinking age, but it's 21 across the country because the federal government came in and said, if you want federal highway funding, it's got to be 21. You you can make it 18, Wisconsin, but then you're going to lose out on millions of dollars. This is just essentially the same thing. There's a law on the books that says you have to cooperate. You want to be a sanctuary city. God bless you. Go with God. But, okay, there's going to be a consequence to that. And, yes, that means that you're not going to have as much money for the Port Authority. And, yes, that probably means you're not going to have these block grants to go to community building. Well, the easy answer is, just like you change the drinking age to 21, All right, then you just say, hey, we're going to cooperate with immigration when it comes to this. Let's talk to um, Bill in Greendale. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Hi, Bill. Just a quick comment. I'm a carrot and stick kind of guy. Um, I understand the the punitive side of of what Trump is doing, and I agree with it, but don't you think that law enforcement would jump all over something if they were incentivized to uh, follow the law? Well, law enforcement might. I don't think the mayors would. I think this is, to be honest with you, I think this is just such a political hot potato because you have, in a lot of these communities, you have all these activists who have just decided we want open borders. We don't want people deported. We don't want people stopped at the border. I I don't. I mean, I understand. I, I'm, I believe in carrots as well. <laughs> I, I'm just not sure that that would make any difference just because of how political this is, if you know what I mean. Yeah, is, is the last topic is, is this um – is this just a matter of kicking the can down the road? You know, um, okay, it's no longer a, uh, a criminal investigation. It's now an, an ICE uh, problem. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's, I mean, thanks. I mean, in some cases it, it, it may very well be. For example, it might be. I mean, I, I don't know what immigration is going to do with these things. I mean, so, okay, you get a call that somebody has been picked up for, you know, three times over the legal limit. So you're the immigration officer, and they, they call you and say, uh, this person's in the country illegally. We've got him in the jail or her in the jail or whatever. I mean, then, I mean, I don't know what immigration is going to do. Will they put a deportation hold on them? You know, will they try to deport them? That, to me, is a, a separate question. But none of this happens unless they're notified in the first place. And I guess I just think, I think law enforcement on all levels has a duty to cooperate with each other. And if you have mayors or common councils or county boards or whatever that decide that they want to make a political statement by saying, you know, we're not going to cooperate. And if this means that there will be illegal aliens that get released and kill people, we're willing to take that chance. Okay, fine. That's the chance that you're willing to take. But don't be surprised if there aren't consequences. It's 1127. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Who so Hondo is producing the show today and always. Brandy old fashioned. You a brandy old fashioned guy? You love brandy old fashions. I, I have said this. You are a Renaissance man. You you know you are you are an old soul. It's um, I I just I, I it's this is now having said that I just don't have a taste. Right. I had a bad experience with brandy back years and years and years ago, 
years and years and years ago, probably before I should have been drinking brandy, but it haunts me to this day. Everybody's got tequila stories. I don't have tequila stories. I have a bad, I have a bad brandy story, and it just to this day it has kind of haunted me. I was somewhere not that long ago, and there was really this like this really high priced cognac. I mean, this really, and, and somebody offered me some. And it it just it brought it all back. <laughs> it just those memories just came flooding back. So I'm not a I'm not a brandy guy. Brandy and malt brandy and malt liquor are the only two things that I kind of stay away from. But but you are okay. Brandy old fashioned. Well, go check out those supper clubs. They'll have it. Okay, I found this story to be incredibly interesting. I I am fascinated by by trends and, and how things how things change. Fifteen years ago, if you owned a, a video store, Blockbuster or otherwise, it was a license to print money. I mean, back in the back in the day, and it really wasn't that long ago, you would have people who would camp out outside like the Blockbusters at 5 o'clock on, a, on Fridays because Fridays were the day the new movies were released, and people would run and you'd rent them and you'd have them. Okay, well now, I mean, I understand that there are a handful of video stores still left, but as a general rule, that is a dying industry. You know, now you've got movies on demand and you know all the different stuff. You know, People don't go to brick-and-mortar um, video stores anymore. The same thing is true, and perhaps it's most true when you look at, at telephones. We, we were talking about this the other day. There used to be can, – can I see a show of hands? Are you old enough to remember when there were these things called pay phones? And if you were out and about, away from your house, and you needed to make a phone call, like you were at the airport or whatever, there was a, a phone that was up on, on the wall in the airport. And you would go up there, and you had a credit card, and you'd put the information in, and you know, you, you'd make – the call at the the pay phone there were things called phone booths where you know if you were out and about on the street and you needed to make a call there'd be a phone booth that you would go into now the only people who know about those are folks who watch the superman movies when he used to jump into the phone booth to change his clothes i mean cell phones have now become so what's the word ubiquitous everybody has a cell phone nowadays that there's no need for phone booths there's no need for pay phones and and if you if you find them and i understand that they still exists. But you have to search long and hard to find a phone booth or to find a, a pay phone. Similarly, everybody used to have the, the landline. You know, the phone pole, the telephone pole in your backyard or down the block, and the copper wires that run down through the ground or up, you know, ac- across the air coming into your house that then hooks up with a junction box. The landlines. The old-fashioned, old-style landlines, and and everybody used to have them. Well, now almost nobody does. There, there's a story that caught my attention in the uh, Chicago Tribune the other day. AT and T has been legally obligated to provide landline service um, in in Illinois for, forever. Um, it's this old rule that was this old system where the government wanted to ensure universal telephone, uh, telephone service. So they essentially gave AT&T a, a monopoly. And they said, okay, you, you can have the landline contract, but you have to provide th- these, you know, th- these services. And this goes back decades ago, and it made sense at the time for both the state and for, for AT&T. Here, here are, here's the numbers. There, right now there's a bill that's going through the Illinois legislature which would allow AT&T essentially – to, to drop out of, of the landline business. Um, th- this is almost staggering, you know, what they say. They say the number of people with landlines 
ATT says nearly 90% of their consumers, 90%, 9 out of 10, have dropped their landlines in favor of either wireless or Internet-based calling services. 9 out of 10. So it used to be everybody had a telephone, you know, in their house, hooked up with the landline. And now they're saying it's gone. 90% in Illinois is, is gone. And so what AT&T is saying is it's no, longer, it's no longer feasible for us to continuing, you know, offering this, especially not necessarily statewide, um, because it's expensive. Number one, it's expensive to maintain the wiring. Um, number two, it's expensive to send people out and go up on the polls. Number three, nobody's signing up. Nobody new is signing up for landline service effectively. And um, it's incredibly costly, and more and more people are dropping you know, every day. And what AT&T is saying is, look, this, this made sense to require us to offer these landline services you know, years and years ago where there weren't these choices. But now there's all these choices. People are making those choices they've got cell phones or they've got the internet service or things like that you know we should not have to continue to provide landline services especially in those areas where it doesn't make any economic sense All right 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i understand that there are some people i understand that that maybe you love your your, your landline and, and maybe you, you would never ever 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 give it up but the truth is, I think, I mean, just like the video stores are gone, just like phone booths are gone, just like pay phones are gone, I think we're getting to a point where I think landlines are, are going to be gone or almost gone, certainly in the next five to ten years, as more and more people simply say, I don't need them, I've got the cell phone, this is duplicative, there's nothing that's out there. I think as more and more young people, you know, who who just never used a a landline phone to begin with, uh, just decide that they're they're not going to do this. So 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What what is the future of, of the landlines? And should phone companies, I guess, be required to offer them? Because I understand there's some people that, that want them, but at the same time, there, there is this huge cost that is involved with this. And as more and more people drop out, I mean, if seriously, if 9 out of 10 people in Illinois have abandoned this, you know, should AT&T be forced to continue to provide this service? Or is this just the market saying, hey, the this it no longer makes economic sense to do it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1146. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Kathy in Dodge County. Kathy, you're first. Good morning. Yeah. Um, I saw an article not too long ago within the last several months in the Wall Street Journal that the, by 2025, they're projecting that the landlines will be gone. Eight years. And the people giving up the landlines the quickest are people in the Midwest, which surprised me a lot because you'd think they're more, more, uh, more conservative, more, <laughs> right. more less willing to give it up. But I, I have to tell you, I gave up my landline eight years ago, and I never looked back. Um, I'm in an AT&T area out here, and uh, my landline for uh, quite a bit of the year was virtually unusable except for except to find my cell phone um, <laughs> it was, there was so much static on the line that i i couldn't use it and um well you know I, one of the things i think might be driving it in the midwest is because 
we are frugal people, and I say that with affection. And, you know, if you've got a cell phone, the question becomes, if you've got the cell phone, do you need the landline? Do you need them both? And I think most people are starting to realize, well, not I really don't need them both. And you can take your landline number now right. and you can port it to a cell phone, and it's considerably cheaper because you have all the features on the cell phone that you have to pay the telephone company extra for. Right. So you have you, you cut the cord and have not looked back. Not at all. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. That, again, I mean, 2000, 2025, I was thinking that's forever, but that, that's eight years from now. I, I You know, I, I think in five to ten years, especially what's one of the things that's going to be driving this is – that as as more and more people drop the landlines, so there's fewer demand for it. Again, this is the problem that newspapers have. Few, and, and it's not with the content, but it's more and more people don't want the print edition. They get the stuff digitally, um, so you still have the increasing cost. You've got to produce the paper, you've got to deliver the paper, but fewer and fewer people are buying the hard copy of the paper. So at some point in time, you, you wonder how long can this sustain itself? You know, if in Illinois, it's true that, you know, nine out of 10 landline customers have now dropped the landlines. How much longer can you spend the money trying to service a smaller and smaller group of people? Let's talk to Ron in Clintonville. Ron, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, yeah, I'm a mail carrier and I've been doing it for over 25 years. And now the book, the, and it's ironic because I'm delivering them today. The phone books, okay, right. They are a quarter of the size. Oh, yeah. yeah Even, I, I mean, the surface of them, you know, they were 11 by 8. Now they're 8 by 5, yeah. and they're only a quarter inch thick. And they used to be over an inch. In little Clintonville, right. that, you know, that was a quite a bit. Well, you know, Ron, I don't, honest to goodness, I don't remember the last time I have used a phone book. I mean, it's, just, it's you know, if I, if I, if I, if there's a business I want to contact, you know, I go on the internet, you know, and you, you go and they've got a website and they've got their phone number that's there. I mean, I, honest to goodness, I, it's, it's been years. I, I cannot right. tell you the last time I actually pulled out a yellow pages or pulled out a white pages and actually looked up a phone number. That's, that's just not how people get information anymore. Right. And, and I'm one of those guys that I still just have a flip phone and, right. I, I can get a lot of information on there yet, but I do have an iPad where I can look stuff up. Right, and the phone book is just obsolete. It's getting to be like newspapers. Yeah, it it is. No, thanks for calling. It's and and just okay. My my brother in law Dave. I mean, Dave is one of the last guys too. He he's a holdout for the flip phone, and and that's fine. But I mean, it, again, it's it's kind of that changing thing. And, and you're you're right. I mean, I remember the phone books. You know, they used to plop them. The, the yellow pages used to be huge. The white pages used to be huge, and now. In all honesty, when they come to my house, they go straight into the recycling thing because I've just I've never I've never used it. It's been years and years and years. It's kind of like they say, you know, if you if you haven't worn an article of clothing in two years, you're probably not going to wear it. So you should you know end up giving it to charity or something. That's kind of how I feel about the the phone books. Let's talk to Nancy in Mosquito. Nancy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Please don't take away my landline. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna have to crawl, pry your yes. landline out of your cold, yes, dead hands. Yes. <laughs> I don't see how people can run around with those little phones. <laughs> you can't see anything. The keys are too small for your fingers. Uh, I mean, you're, and mm-hmm. what do you do? I take um, messages, and I write things down, and maybe the doctor calls and stuff, mm-hmm. and I write it down. How and I hold my landline while I'm writing. How how do you write? How do you take a message, uh, write it down when you've got a landline that you have? I mean, when you've got a cell, cell phone, phone in your hand. In your hand. Yeah. 
It's well, it, 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 those are those are some of those some of those challenges. Do you do you own a cell phone, Nancy, or no? I own one. You but own one. I only bought it for when we take a trip out of town. Right. That I would have it in the case of emergency. Right. I really don't know how to use it. Okay. Um, well, I, Nancy. I mean, I, and there, there was still. Thanks for calling. I mean, there will be there will be landlines for a while. But the truth of the matter is, um, and I, I say this with affection, Nancy. And because I, I describe myself this way in, in many categories, but you're a dinosaur. I, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to some stuff too, and that's just that's just kind of the reality. Because I mean, more and more people are just simply saying, "Okay, we're we're done with it." And I, I do understand partly it perhaps is is a generational thing. Although there's a lot of I, I know older people who you, you use their their cell phones and just you know love all the the different contacts that they have. So there's always going to be a need for it. And it's it, like newspapers. There's always going to be a certain amount of people who who like it. What I wonder is just the economics of this, the, the critical mass, because at some point in time you're going to get to a point where it's just from the phone company's perspective, it costs too much to offer the service and to update the wires and to provide the service, especially if more and more people are are dropping out. Let's talk to Kelly in Waterford. Kelly, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. You just said a good point, too. And I've, I've worked for two different providers in southeast Wisconsin over the course of 20 years. And, you know, what we're trying to provide as an organization now is not necessarily a landline telephone service. We're entertainment companies now. So our goal is to make sure that things are working properly so you have the highest Internet service possible or the best television service possible. Right. So we're, we're going to continue doing maintenance on those lines in the field. But what we're also doing is putting fiber optic cable directly in the ground to your home now. And that's that, that component that, you know, you right. still have your landline telephone. Go ahead, have it. Does it matter to us? I'm brutally honest, not really. It doesn't. It's that high-speed Internet line that we want, as well as the television service that goes along that, that wire. Right, 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 which is why you, it's interesting to me because there's a couple of, like, the cable companies around here. Um, when, when you bundle the high-speed Internet and the, the cable TV, they essentially give you the landline. <laughs> it's like it, it's it's like it's almost cheaper yeah. to have that, and I guess that's what the theory is. You know, we want you to have everything, so we'll kind of throw in, I, again, the, the, the thing that you get over the Internet just because we want this in your house. That's exactly what it is, and I'll be honest. I've cut my landline off. But let me tell you, it still works. It will still ring, and you can still dial 911. And wrath of God type weather, that thing will still work for you. Well, right. And I think they're right. Again, and and, and this isn't the purpose of this isn't to isn't to you know rip on people who have landlines. It's more just that this is kind of the the reality. You know, for the longest time, I, I have not disconnected mine yet, but I'm I'm going to. But for the longest time, you know, um. We needed a fax machine. Now I no longer need the fax machine. So it's just, I, you know, I, if I need to send stuff, I can just, I, I end up like scanning it, downloading it. But we, I no longer need the fax machine. And that was really the only reason I had it. And uh, I guess I'm debating for me, since I've had this phone number for years and years, do I want to get a second cell phone and like then port that number over there? But, but here's the reality. Just like, just like video stores are almost extinct, just like phone booths are almost extinct, don't be surprised if within the next five or ten years, landlines are almost extinct. All right, we're going to find out what's coming up on Scafidi and Billstat. I think Steve is still on vacation, so it's Eric's Billstat and Tracy Johnson. Stick around. It's 1154.
It's 11.58, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Eric Bilstadt, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors, because Steve Scafidi starts a new job and takes a vacation. There's a lot of mercure in him. You know, there, there's just a lot of mercure in hey, him. You said it, not me. I, I did, yeah, that's exactly, I, you're darn right I said it. Um, okay, Eric, Tracy, what do you guys Hello. got coming up on the show? Hi. Did you see the video of the TSA patting down that child? I have not. So there's video, and I'm curious. I know Tracy and I have been talking about this. Is this a concern? So it's like a 13-year-old boy. There's video of his mother. He's being, he's getting the pat down, you know, a little bit more than normal. He has some um, uh, special, sensory, yeah, sensory issues that he struggles with, so that was affecting him. And whether or not it was appropriate. So if you have special needs or if you're someone like this boy... How do you handle those situations? Did the TSA act appropriately? So we're going to dig into that. You know, everybody, everybody has airport horror stories, but I will say this. I don't know that there's a more thankless job than being a TSA <laughs> official. No, seriously, because, okay, you're, you're sitting there. You've got thousands of people, all of whom just want to get past mm-hmm. you, um, and, and you're looking at thousands and thousands of pieces of luggage or people in a given day, and you know that that 99.99999% of the thing it's not going to be a problem mm-hmm. but lord if you ever miss that that one right. you know and the plane blows up or whatever you know that that's it it's just i always try to be especially nice to tsa people just because I, I appreciate what a tough job it is. So when I'm going through the airport on Thursday, TSA people, <laughs> just just remember that. Okay, um, Scafidi and Billstat today. Billstat and Johnson coming right up. It's 11:59. I am back 8:30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ.